So there we go, yes. So this, uh, this morning, continuing in this series on the family, we're talking about, as you can imagine, singles this morning, uh, what it means to be single. And so I would say if you're in here and I'm going to qualify something, I don't think high school students are single. I think you're high school students, okay? Uh, so that gives you my clear estimation of high school dating. But uh, if you're here and you are 18 or older, You've been single at some point in your life. You either are now or you were at some point in your life. So you understand what it means to be single. It may surprise you that 50% of our church staff is single. All right, so half of our staff is single here at Grace. Uh, so we have a lot of single people doing a lot of good things. This morning, we're gonna, I'm going to talk fast, so you listen fast. And we will jump into singleness from a biblical point of view with three uh, different principles that come right from God's Word, from Paul's writing uh, to live by. Number one, singleness and marriage are a gift from God. Singleness and marriage are a gift from God. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7, 6, 7 says, Now as a concession, not a command, meaning uh, this is my recommendation to you, this is my advice, I say this, I wish that all were as I myself am. So this means Paul, in the writing of this, was single, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. So Paul admits his singleness here in his writing, but he does something that is so countercultural. You see, for a Jew not to be married was a, a rather difficult thing. Uh, they lived in light of getting married, and it uh, almost uh, felt like you were cursed if you weren't. So for Paul to take singleness and take marriage and call both of them a gift is absolutely tremendous. Now, uh, Paul uh, wasn't married, as we could tell here, but imagine uh, if he had been. Paul went on three missionary journeys. Uh, there were no planes, trains, or automobiles, okay? He did three missionary journeys and traveled just north of 10,000 miles total on those three journeys. Imagine trying to do that as a married man, leaving a wife uh, uh, and children behind. The difficulty of that, Paul did it by foot and by boat. And so when you consider that, uh, Paul, uh, Paul uh, uh, is single, and he advocates singleness more than once in this passage for the purpose of the gospel. He advocates it because he believes that uh, folks can serve God better as single men and women. He says, but each has his own gift from God. By this statement, Paul takes singleness and marriage and puts them on the same level. Singleness is a gift from God. Marriage is a gift from God. That word uh, gift uh, literally means gracious gift. Gracious gifts, my favorite wedding vows end with this statement, I therefore I receive you as God's lovely gift to me. Marriage is a gift, singleness is a gift. And so uh, what Paul prevents here then by elevating marriage and singleness, all putting them on the same plane as a gift, is two kinds of thinking. Well, there is the single person who in her frustration with not being married can become a little bit bitter or sarcastic to those who are. Who are. 
right, she just looks and, and if she sees someone in love, she questions, is, is it really love? Uh, this All this romantic stuff. And you can hear it kind of spill out in her conversation. But this is also a word of caution to parents who believe their children are less than because they aren't married and producing grandchildren. All right, so some of you parents feel like your children are in a holding pattern until they meet that certain someone. And in that holding pattern of life, there's not much that's going on. Paul says, no, singleness like marriage is a gift from God. Both are gifts. And if they are, then like any gift you receive, you want to receive it well, you want to handle it well, and you want to use it well. And so if you're in the room this morning and you are a single, meaning uh, uh, that you are, have never been married, perhaps you're a young adult, you just graduated college, you're new in your career, or maybe you're a, a middle-aged adult or you're an older adult, perhaps you're single and you're uh, uh, single again, you're, your spouse died or you went through a divorce, whatever it may be, the reality is that God is not caught off guard by your singleness. He is not put off by it. As a matter of fact, it is a gracious gift that he has given to you to be used well. Uh, I stumbled uh, upon an article uh, in Christianity Today called Five Single Women I Want to Be When I Grow Up. One of them, uh, uh, several of these women I had not heard of, one of them, her name is Macrina. Uh, she lived in the 4th century, and she had two uh, uh, famous brothers in church life. They became known as the Cappadocian Fathers, and so they were instrumental in the church of their time. But it was Macrina who, uh, are you ready for this, was engaged at the age of 12. Yeah, that was then, right? Some of us uh, stutter now when somebody who's 18 gets engaged and we wonder, can they handle it, right? So imagine 12, 12, she was 12 when she was engaged and uh, her, uh, uh, the, the man she was to marry died and when she did, she made a commitment. She would never marry. She sensed that to be from the Lord. Well, then her father died, and when he did, she um, became the leader of her family the de facto leader of her family. And uh, Macrina then had her brothers who went off to be trained, and, and they came home, and, and, and they did so full of pomp and circumstance, right? They had gotten educated. They thought they were all that. And it was, it was Macrina who kind of cut them down to size, uh, told them who they were and who they weren't. And uh, her uh, brother Gregory uh, described her in a book he wrote about her. And he describes her death. And he says, it's a beautiful picture of a life suffused with love for God, and her singular focus on him uh, was surely shaped by her singleness. And here's what he writes. She seemed to transmit in her dying the desire which was in her heart to rush to the one she longed for, for it was really towards her beloved that she ran, and no other of life's pleasures ever turned her eye to itself away from her beloved, meaning her beloved, who was Jesus. She lived her life uh, madly in love with Jesus. 
in love with Christ, and as such, served him faithfully. I would say to you, if your uh, gift of singleness is a gift for all of your life, or if it is a gift for this season of your life, our staff is proof. Uh, the staff at Campus Outreach is probably largely single, is proof that your singleness is a gift from God so that he can use you in these spaces and years of your life to make a remarkable difference in the world. Do not discount that. Don't look at it as like a holding period, a waiting time. Uh, singleness and marriage are both gifts from God. Number two, singleness and marriage are hard. They are hard. Both are hard. Paul says, to the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than burn with passion. So Paul again encourages singleness, but he says if you cannot exercise control, uh, self-control, what does he mean? All right, so yes, this is going to be on our screen and online. Singleness is hard because singles want to have sex. That's what Paul says. If you are going to burn with passion, he says, get married. All right, so it's just a reality. You're created as a sexual being, and that is God's doing. It is his work. So parents, if you're a parent of a teenager, at some point, you've got to sit down with your son, daughter, have a conversation, be real. It is real. This is a real part of who they are. And you need to be the one who instructs them on the biblical view of that. Singles, you must admit this. I found in church life there are two kinds of singles, uh, typically, uh, uh, two extremes, and people can find themselves in between. There's one kind of singles, and be they young singles, older singles, whoever they may be, and they take this view. Uh, I, I want to have sex, therefore I will. I'm just going to do it. Everybody's doing it, so I'm going to do it. I've tried not to. I've tried to put boundaries in place. I just am going to have sex anyway. And then I will sit in my office with those singles when we're doing premarital counseling, which part of the questions is, is what is your history? What is your life? How much do you need to know about the other person? That's the point where you air all the clean and all the dirty laundry. You put everything on the table. Do you know what? I've never, ever, ever heard in my office on one of those times I've never had a person look at me and say, I wished I'd had sex with more people. I've never had somebody sit there and look at me and, and uh, while their uh, soon-to-be spouse is sitting in that room and say those words. Not at all. No, what I've heard on more than one occasion is I ask the simple question, does she know everything she needs to know? Does he know everything he needs to know? What I've heard on more than one occasion is regret and remorse and sadness and, and difficulty and complexity and complication that results. That's one view. You just think for some, reason, for some reason that the rules that apply to sexual fidelity in Scripture somehow don't apply to you. Uh, you, you, you just think that. The, the second view is this. Some Christians view sex as bad. It, it's as if you think, if you think enough vile thoughts about it, if you just 
think it is bad, it's dirty, it's whatever it is, you're just going, ah, don't, don't say anything about that, it's taboo. If you do that, then perhaps that will dissuade you from doing something you shouldn't do. Both views are unbiblical. And that couple sitting in my office now, we will begin to overcome these uh, uh, wrong views that they have and work through. So I want to give three principles as singles to live by uh, when it comes to this. Number one, singles must have clear boundaries when it comes to sex. If you are beginning today and you're single, if you're 55 or if you're 25, lay down the boundaries now. Start early with that. If you think you're going to be serious about this man or woman, talk about it and say, this is where things stop. This is where things stop. Uh, what, I, what I've said for years when I did youth ministry, what I say for years is when you are dating a girl, I say this to young men because I believe, you may call me old-fashioned, that this lands at your feet, men. I believe this is up to you, young men, to protect the girl that is in your car. I remember years ago when Kyle Silver rolled up into my driveway and he was going out on a date. He was in a pickup truck, as I recall, going out on a date. I said, Kyle, who are you going? He told me. And I looked, and his Bible was in the middle. His Bible was in the middle of his console. I said, listen, I don't know what's going to happen in this truck, but they're going to have to climb over Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John for it to happen. <laughs> you just keep that Bible right where it is. And it could cause you to avoid a big, bad problem in your pickup truck tonight. Now, men, I think this lands squarely at your feet. If you pressure the girl you're with, shame on you. And girl, uh, young woman, if she's doing that, if he's doing that, get out now. You have no place in a relationship where a man is pressuring you with sex. No place at all. That is wrong in any form, any shape at all. Tell young men, if she doesn't want to hold your hand, don't hold her hand. That is too much pressure. Pressure does not belong. All right? So singles must have clear boundaries. Number two, singles must have accountability. And it's not each other. Don't, you know, it's hogwash. Oh, we'll hold each other accountable. No, you'll hold each other. <laughs> not accountable. All right? Those are two different things. All right, number one's a problem, number two is a need. All right, so, so what do you do? You need godly men in your life, you need godly women in your life, and the godly men will hold the man accountable and the godly women, and you don't lie to those people and you shoot straight with them. That's principle number two. Principle number three, here it is, it's gonna be super profound. The bachelor and the bachelorette are stupid. <laughs> That's principle number three. That is ridiculous notion of how it is to meet somebody and to try to choose who you're going to spend the rest of your life with. It is unbelievable that people watch that mess. It is unbelievable it has gone on for 10 years or so, however long it's been on television. It is just glorified prostitution. That's all it is. It's pathetic. You should not let that mess into your minds, into your thoughts, any, in, in any such way. All right, so, so there we go, singles. Uh, we'll have a message later just on sex. We'll warn you ahead of time. Uh, 1 Corinthians seven twenty eight says, Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. Uh, secondly, marriage is hard because life is hard. Amen? All right, that was so weak. That was so weak. All right, let's try that one more time. 
Some of you are afraid your spouse is going to hear you say amen. <laughs> Marriage is hard because life is hard. Amen? amen? Marriage is hard work. It is just hard work. I have an amazing wife. I love her dearly. She's fantastic. She's incredible. But marriage is not easy. All right, so couples, let me, let me encourage you with something here. Do you know what you do? This is what you do. If your marriage is struggling, here's what you do. You walk into church, you look across, and you see somebody who's kind of cuddled up beside one another, and you think, oh, if, I, if we just had that, right? If we just had that marriage. Look at the way he looks at her. Well, what you didn't hear was, you know, the way they chewed each other out on the way in. <laughs> the way the kids couldn't get their tooth, teeth brushed. They, they just couldn't figure it all out. But they came in and put on their sweet church face, right? And they just kind of got it all together, and they looked so sweet and good, and, and you just, you, you, you just that, or, or fake book. You, you just see their marriage on fake book, right? That's what you see, right? How many times have you seen it, you know, where it's 3 a.m., uh, uh, they both look awful, their breath reeks, and the kid's diaper's nasty? Why? You don't post that stuff. No, no, you only post when you have matching clothes on the beach. That's the only time. You, you only post when the meal turned out, right? You, you don't post it when, you know, when, when things are burnt and the kitchen's smoking and the smoke detectors are going off because you tried to cook something else that you didn't know how to cook. You don't post those things. No, it's all of the lovely of life, isn't it? And everybody else looks and goes, oh, if my life could only be so lovely. Well, it isn't. Life is hard, and therefore marriage is hard. Wendy and I experienced this for six months of our marriage. If you were to talk to her, she would without a doubt tell you it was not the best time of our life. Why? Well, we, we got married, and, uh, and uh, I'm the way I am, and she's the way she is. That's the number one problem, <laughs> right? We both uh, discovered that we're who we are, and... Uh, and so I, uh, we both have leader personalities. She leads by inspiring uh, uh, and, and, and just having a lot of fun. I lead by setting goals and, and meeting deadlines. It's just how we both lead. It's just how we roll. And so uh, it, it wasn't fun. We lived in a tiny little single wide, I lie you not. It's about the size of this stage. And, uh, and it was way too small for two people who were trying to figure it out. But that's just where we were. And it's what we lived in. And... Uh, I thought, i got to do something. And being the nerd that I am, I found a book. I mean, that's what, that's what you do. I know everybody now finds YouTube, but I found a book. And so I got a book, and when I read it, it was Personality Plus by Florence Latower. I, 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 I discovered loads about myself and loads about my wife. And then I was reminded of this theological truth that God made her the way he made her. He made me the way he made me. And he did that so that I would value her as she is, and she would value me as I am, and we together would celebrate one another. You see, uh, I, I, I'm just a, a tad anal about things. I, I like things in their spot at all times. It's how I roll. I, I ju it's just the way I am. Uh, I, I want things everywhere. She calls me a human vacuum. She says, when I walk in the house, I swoop up things. Like I'm walking by and I'm like, And in the first five minutes, I've moved things everywhere. Why? 
Because I can't sit down if they're a bit out of place. Now, today, we have 50 people coming for lunch. Yeah. So when I left home this morning, I was up super early. When I left home, what was my wife doing? Getting up. <laughs> Why? It doesn't freak her out. It doesn't phase her. 50 people are coming over for lunch. 50 people are coming over for lunch. She kissed me goodbye. I left. I walked out the door. Do you know what will happen? If the kitchen gets messy, she will do the preposterous thing of sitting down and hanging out with those people. That's absurd. How can you have a conversation when the kitchen's messy? you got to clean up that mess. Then you can talk. But somehow those people leave before that happens. Well, it's fine by me. i got a clean kitchen. No, not with her. Somebody came up after the early service and said, uh, I, I just think the diagnosis of your marriage is that you're Martha and she's Mary. <laughs> it's the first time I've been called Martha. So, <laughs> but we discovered that that marriage is hard because life is hard. It just is. You, you, you marry this person, and, and I'll tell you this, singles, and I look and see a, a newly engaged couple sitting right here, and, you know, they're all just thrilled, and she's got her arm all up in his, and they're just so happy. Aren't you happy? Yes, yes, and marriage is hard. And, uh, <laughs> yes, should, should they stand and let's applaud? Just stand up and let's applaud. Look at this. Yes. All right. I did. I just nodded and said, so happy for you guys. And I really, I love marriage. I love doing weddings. I absolutely do. I love doing weddings, and I love being all, all part of that. Marriage is God's gift. It's God's design, and it's hard. And you just need to know that. Just as singleness is hard for its own reasons, marriage is hard for the others. But third, singleness and marriage are an assignment from God. Verse 17, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. So listen to me, singles. If you're single, that's God's assignment for you. It may not be forever, but it's his assignment for you. And if you're married, it's his assignment for you. If you came to Christ as a single person, then it be a godly single person. And if you came to Christ as a married person, be a godly married person. It's your assignment in life. It's your season in life. So how do you do singleness well? On Wednesday when I was uh, uh, with Lex, or Tuesday, I think it was Tuesday when I was down with Lex and Charlotte at the hospital, you know, I just started talking, and Lex worked for the post office for years, for years, and uh, he can't work now because of his situation, and he just began to describe, Lex has been single all his life, he began to describe to me his route, and all these people he knew, and how they would wait for him, these older folks who seldom saw anyone would wait for Lex to knock on their door at times, and uh, they came to know him and love him and he them. That's how you do singleness. That's how you do it. You step into your world and you lead out and live it in a tremendous way. At the 8 a.m. service, Janice Bullock was in our service. Janice was married until five years ago when her husband passed. 
Janice, as a single woman, is actively involved in our church in multiple ways. She has so much time. She's retired. She has so much time. And as a single woman, serves God every day almost, it seems. I'm walking across campus. I see Janice doing something. God using her uh, with uh, kids with special needs. She'll work in the sensory room with those kids with special needs and make sure that moms and dads can worship while she's in there with those kids. Or she'll work in our kids' ministry. Uh, Janice is used wonderfully by God as a woman who is now single again. I'm so inspired by her faithfulness, and that she's taken the assignment of singleness seriously. And then we laughed with Leslie Hester on that video, but if you sit here this morning and your uh, babies are good in the preschool while you're able to worship undistracted, it's because that woman for how many years, Leslie? Ten years at this place has held almost every newborn baby in her arms as a single woman and has uh, led these leaders and done what she has done. And Leslie, you fulfilled the assignment of a single woman amazingly well. So proud of you. So proud of you. It's remarkable to see that's how you do singleness well. What is your assignment? What is it that God has given you? Corey Tim Boom, I think most of us know who she was. Her family helped uh, to uh, 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 take care and hide Jews during the Holocaust. Natasha Moore, who wrote this article, says, when I first read The Hiding Place, the story of her life as a teenager, I pictured her as an old lady when the war uh, and her adventures began, and she was actually in her 40s. Though in her early 20s, when she was devastated, when the man she loved married a rich girl instead, later she believed God had set her apart for a single life. As she spoke around the, war, uh, around the world after the war, Corey would often hold up a piece of embroidery to audiences. On the back was a mess of tangled threads. On the front, an intricate gold crown. She would say, although the threads of my life have often seemed knotted, I know by faith that on the other side of the embroidery, there is a crown. Amen? The threads of our life will often be knotted by life itself. And perhaps your singleness feels like it's kind of knotted up to you. I remember when I was in grad school at the University of South Carolina getting my master's in college administration. This was before I had heard God's call to preach. I'm working like nobody's business, doing my degree in twice the time, trying to get out, save money because I didn't have much. But I attended this large, large church that had then three services, had thousands of people that attended, and God was rocking my world and just doing a thing in my life that was tremendous. But I'll tell you, and this is for all the older married people in the room, I'll just tell you what spurred me on every single week. You see, I went to church on Sunday morning, uh, and that church on Sunday night had one service, three in the morning, but one on Sunday night. It was different than the early, and I would study all afternoon, and then I would head back and get there. And I always sat. Well, the first time I sat behind this couple, 
And they were the classiest looking old couple I'd ever seen in my life. He dressed to the Hilton. So did she. And they looked so cool. And I said to myself, when I'm old, I'm going to be that cool. <laughs> I did. I would watch them. They had no idea. I sat behind them every Sunday night. It didn't matter if they moved, I moved. Why? I wanted to be right behind them. They inspired me. I still remember one night uh, we were singing whatever we were singing, and that old uh, gentleman, he turned around, and he, I remember what he was wearing. Probably I need a little help, but at any rate, I remember what he was wearing. He was wearing a wool tweed jacket with a vest underneath, a sweet bow tie. He was looking sharp, uh, silver hair, and he turned around, and he grabbed my chin, and he said, son, you can sing. Don't ever quit. Still remember that. As a single man, he acknowledged me in his aged marriage. And there was something so validating about that. I would just say to you, those of you who are married, embrace singles. Bring them in. And don't say the dumb things on the, on the screen, right? <laughs> just bring them in. Just, just take them and wrap your arms around them. He says, now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. He mentions a present distress. We don't know exactly what was going on. Later in the book of Corinthians, we discover that some people had died and some were sick. So maybe there was some kind of rampant sickness like a pandemic. Uh, maybe there's a plague of some kind. We don't know. He says, just stay as you are. He gives it as a word of advice. But if you get married, you're not sinning. Yeah, they're freaking out, evidently. What should we do? He said, do. You know, this is not, the, these are words of counsel. If, you, if God has called you to be single, be single. If he's called you to be married, be married. That's what he's saying. So I'm not Paul the apostle by a long, long shot, but I want to offer counsel two ways. Number one, if you're married, don't divorce now, I know that I can't cover all the nuances of your marriage. I know that. But I know that God hates divorce. I know that. And I know that as I've sat on the other side of it more than once, divorce isn't a solution. We have wonderful divorced people in this room, and they will tell you it, it, divorce is not a solution. Now, I have no time to get into all of the biblical teaching on divorce. I love divorced people. Those who are single again, those who are divorced and now married again, I would just say to you, remove the word divorce from your vocabulary if you're married. Fight like everything you have for your marriage. Second, I would uh, say to you, life has seasons, seasons of singleness and seasons of uh, of marriage. And in light of that, I want to end with just five maxims for singles. Five maxims for singles. If you're single, don't live your life wanting to be married. It is better to want something you don't have than to have something you don't want. All right? Let me say that again. It is better to want something you don't have than to have something you don't want. Thank you, married people, for not saying amen. That could cause a rough lunch. <laughs> Number two, and I say this with all respect, if you're young and single, get a job, pay your bills, and be responsible. Grow up. 
grow up. Men, quit playing video games. Grow up. Grow up. Earn a living. If you're going to show up at some man's house and sit down and ask for his daughter's hand in marriage, have a bank account. Let him know that you can take care of his daughter. Number three, grow where you are planted. If you're single, don't exist now thinking real living will come later. You matter now. Grow where you're planted. That's the example of Lex. It's the example of Janice. It's the example of Leslie. It's the example of V. It's the example of Carol. It's the example of multiple people in this room. Grow where you are planted. God has a place for you now. God has a purpose for you now. God has something he wants to do through you now. Number four, be the person you want your future spouse to be. If you're single, don't wait for Mr. and Mrs. Wright. Just become Mr. and Mrs. Wright. And the worst thing that can happen, if you never get married, you will be a very godly single man or single woman. Right? So become godly. Become holy. Become all that you can be in your walk with the Lord. And if for some reason God in his grace gives you the gracious gift of singleness, wow, what an amazing single man or woman you'll be. Finally, if you're single, don't do life alone. Don't do life alone. You were created for community as God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are one. You were created to be one. So join a life group for what you can offer not what you need. All right? Join a life group for what you can offer, not what you need. And I'm going to land on that space for just a moment. If you are a needy single, you may get angry at me for about 60 seconds. All right? If you are a needy single, nothing will ever be good enough no group will ever be right enough. No guy will ever be smart enough. Nothing, nothing, nothing. And you will be miserable the rest of your life. But if you, as a single person, know that God has given you something to offer and that you can step into a group and you can bring what you have to the table, oh, your needs will be met. but not because you sat there waiting to be served. Check your neediness factor. Because let's face it, sometimes it's hard to be around needy people, isn't it? Now, there are seasons where you will need more than at others. I get that. I'm just saying if by nature... Neediness and self-pity are kind of first cousins. They live together, do life together, and make people miserable together. That's it. That's the sermon. I am thrilled for how many singles are in this church and the ministry that God enables us to do with you and through you, absolutely, especially on our staff. Lord, I pray for these singles that you would bless them, keep them, 
and make your face to shine upon them and give them peace. In Jesus' name I pray and all God's people say, Amen. Amen.